You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Big Show into our number two, live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Flames enjoying a couple three days off here before getting back at it on Sunday night against the Philadelphia Flyers. NHL's picking it up after the holiday break. Trade freezes over. Maybe see some movement in the new year. Who knows? Uh, love our chats with this guy, Luke Gazdick from Sportsnet, Mitsoff Podcast as well, former NHLer. Luke, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing, buddy? I'm good today, boys. How you doing? Oh, doing just dandy. I I'm, I don't know if you're aware, but the Detroit Pistons, they lost 28, their 28th game in a row last night. You played, obviously, some time in the NHL and the AHL. What would be going through your mind if you were on a team that lost maybe not 28 games in a row, but a, a very high amount? Like, what would be going through that locker room right now? Oh, buddy, that's miserable. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, it's still pretty cool being in the highest league in the world. And uh, it's a pleasure to go to work every day. But, man, I played on some uh, crappy teams in my in my career. Uh, nothing like a 28-heater in a row, Oof. but... Um, that's that's got to be tough for those Pistons. They are coming into Toronto on Saturday, I yeah. believe, and uh, I, I really hope it's not the Raps that uh, breaks that streak. I was going to ask, on the flip side of that, how much pressure is there when you're facing a team that's on a, a bit of a, a losing streak like that? It's like, man, we don't want to be the ones. Like, you, you know what's going on going into that one game for sure, hey? Yeah, I was just going to say that too. Like, it's it's never fun playing against teams like that just because they have straight up nothing to lose. They have no pressure. They're already they're already down in the dumps, and uh, you just you don't want to be the one to end that streak ever. You don't want to hold that uh, distinguished title. Uh, so I, like I said, I, I really hope that that doesn't happen to the Raps boys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope not. But well, enough with uh, with that talk. We'll move on to the NHL. The Calgary Flames made a a couple changes at practice yesterday to try and get. Uh, two players going, uh, mainly Jonathan Huberto, uh, who's on the top line with uh, Elias Lindholm and Yegor Sharangovich. Andrew Mangiapane goes back down to the third line. He's going to be uh, paired, repaired with uh, Michael Backlund and, and Blake Coleman. Obviously, you've watched this Flames team uh, from afar, but obviously being at Sportsnet, you've covered their games. Jonathan Huberto, pointless in the month of December. Just like what do you, like we we've, we've we've talked at nauseum of like, what's going on with this guy? Well, like what's going on? Is it between the, it's, it's in, it's, is it brain? Is it what it's, I don't think he's lost the ability to, to play hockey. I don't think he sucks anymore, but the, the, the line change, you figure putting Huberto with the top two skilled players on this team, you figure in, in Elias Lindholm and Jaeger Sharon Govich, who's rolling. How do you like this line change? Yeah, I think it's something that Husk had to do. Listen, like at the end of the day, I've been trying to figure out the same thing too. Cause not only do I cover it and watch a ton of hockey, including Flames hockey, but uh, I also played for a long time and I've seen top players go through stretches like this. And it's really hard to come up with an answer, right? We've talked about how it's between the years and yeah, there's some stuff on the ice that he could change and maybe some bad habits that he started to develop, but still a good hockey player. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're, we're going to have to curb expectations that this might not be the 130 point player that, uh, we saw two years removed from, and I just like the move that Husk did. You 
Because at the end of the day, my thought is like, you, you have to make it work. So whatever happens here, whatever trades that are going to be made, you have to be thinking about the guys coming back the other way. Who's going to be able to play through this lineup with guys like QB? But man, ride the guys that are hot. And Igor is hot right now. I've been liking watching him play. Um, he's a finisher and Hubie's a, a disher. So put those two together, make it work. I, I really like Manjin. Um, Manjin, Blake, and Backlund together too. That's a 200-foot line right there. And I really hope they can get Manjin going. I think he's a big part of the success, not just on on the ice, but off the ice. I think he's really well-liked in the room. I know that. Um, and I, I think it's just little subtle tweaks here and there to try to get certain guys going um, is what Huss is going to be looking to accomplish because you got to make this thing work. And, and I think that pairing Hubie with someone that's hot, he's, he's had some good looks, but he's got to start putting things together. And, and I think that's the best way to do it. It's just kind of little subtle tweaks through your lineup. Obviously, he knows he's struggling, right? Like, he, he's not going home after every game looking himself in the mirror going like, yeah, nailed it today. Um, but I'm sure you've been around uh, players who have struggled mightily like this before. Is there something that, that anyone in the locker room can say or do to kind of try to help get him out of this? Or is this really just up to him? No, that's a good question, too, because it's something you kind of tiptoe around, too, right? And I think I, I've like I said, I've been with top guys too who go through stretches like this, and um, it's almost like you kind of want to stay away from them a little bit. I was always, I, for, for my point of view, I was always there as a teammate to try to be that ear. And if he needed, if he wanted to bounce things off me, even though, whatever, I was in and out of the lineup, I wasn't, I wasn't going to give him any like legendary advice to snap him out of this. But at least I could be a sounding board for him if he needed it. And I think there's a lot of guys in the Flames dressing room like that he's got a good crew there and a really good core there. And that's what I think is good about this whole situation. I, I really like their team and the makeup of their team off the ice. Uh, I know a bunch of those guys and they have some good solid vets in there. Uh, it, at the end of the day, it's up to him, but I do think like guys will be there if he needs to get some stuff off or whatever, but it's, I, I, that's the thing at the end of the day, I keep coming back to is that I feel for him. It's frustrating as ever to, be going through that in such a public way in such a public town like Calgary. I mean, he's not in Fort Lauderdale anymore. He's not down in Nashville. He's not playing in Raleigh or any of these places where he can get away with going 17 games without scoring a goal. Um, he's in a town like Calgary where you go, you go get a coffee or you sit down for a, a salad at lunch. Someone's probably going to know you. And most cases are while I felt in Edmonton, people are going to ask you and, and want to talk to you about it publicly. And so I feel for him in that way that he is going through these struggles. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be up to him to, to break out of it. Uh, the Flames opponent uh, coming up on Sunday is the Philadelphia Flyers. They got a, they're probably the best, uh, probably, I would say probably the best story out of any team in this year, I would say, uh, where people thought they'd be right down fighting for, uh, you know, Macklin Celebrini, but John Tortorella, wasn't going to let these guys uh, lack play. And I think Sean Couturier coming back has been a, a big help as well. What have you been seeing with the Philadelphia Flyers? They 7-1-2, uh, and two, big one last night against Vancouver. Yeah, I, bet, I was trying to figure it out for a while because, you know, being an analyst now, you have to have answers to questions. So when people ask me <laughs> what's going on with the Flyers, and so you start just dissecting them. I, and I also have the pod, and I had Owen Tippett on my last episode and asked oh, him nice. a number of questions. Um, and he talked about the influence of torts. And I think that is one huge reason. And I made a 
you know, a, a note last night to watch this team. I was covering, I was doing the Vancouver, uh, the Vancouver Philly, obviously, and then I had Edmonton and San Jose going, but I really leaned into the Vancouver game because this is a top matchup for them, and they are feasting off turnovers and transition as one of their biggest things. If you make a mistake, especially in the neutral zone, they're turning it around and going straight to the back of your net. And they're one of the best teams off the rush in the league from turnovers. And they're getting contributions from guys like Owen Tippett, who have kind of stepped into this role. Um, Couturier and Atkinson, like you said, coming back is huge. Their decor for a lot of you know names that people probably would not know or have heard of have really been good. Guys like Nick Sealer. I love their fourth line. Calgary would be familiar with Garnet Hathaway, who's playing on it, Nick Delorier. But what I saw last night is just a team that works. Like, they don't give you anything. And I said to Carolyn Cameron, who I was working with, I said, so interesting because every single player is playing the same way. As soon as he makes a hit or a stick check, he's back in the back check. And, like, he doesn't take a second. They just work. And you really have to have the right group for that. Like, I said to her that... You can't have a lot of big personalities in your dressing room when you have a coach like Torts and he wants you to play a certain way. He, you won't play. If, you, if you're not playing the way he wants, you won't play. And so everyone kind of has to buy into this ideology. And I, it just it doesn't work everywhere. And they have the group in Philly that is just kind of a bunch of yes men that are like, yes, Torts, we will do whatever you say. I want to play. I want to win. What do I do? And I just, even a team like Edmonton, I said to her, like, I don't think Torch would work in Edmonton. There's some big personalities. There's clubs like Toronto. He would not work in Toronto. But you get to a team like Philly, a blue-collar atmosphere where guys are going to just shut up and go play, um, it's really working for them. And uh, that is not going to be an easy game for Calgary on Sunday because, uh, like I said, they don't give you anything. You mentioned you had um, Owen Tippett on your, your podcast. Um, I don't know how one quietly scores 27 goals in the NHL, but that seemed like a, a pretty quiet 27 last year. I don't know if enough people are talking about him. Uh, one of the key pieces coming in for Claude Giroux, so obviously a lot of pressure as Giroux was loved out there in Philadelphia. Uh, what have you seen from, from Tippett's game the last couple of years? It seems like he's kind of hit his breakout now. Yeah, he's just getting more and more confident. I think that's that's all you really need. Uh, in this game, he he went through a lot in Florida, bouncing up and down, you know, playing 10 to 12 minutes a night and kind of having to adjust that role. That's a really tough thing for guys coming out of junior. When you're a point producer, goal scorer in junior, and you come up to pro hockey and your coaches and management are saying, hey, well, you're not going to be this guy here. You kind of have to reconfigure your game. And so he's sitting there on the bench playing 10, 11, 12 minutes. Like, that's not easy. I know, it, you know, it might sound easier than it is. Just take that down a little bit, learn how to check harder. But it's kind of a reality check for some of these guys. And he gets a new opportunity. I remember I asked him about the trade, and he didn't exactly see it coming, but, you know, heard his name being thrown out there. But that's all guys really need is an opportunity. He came over, and I think the biggest thing was, I think he had one point in his first seven, and they just kept playing him. And they were playing him 15, 20 minutes a night. They said, we don't care. Just roll. Just keep going. And it says a lot when someone instills that confidence in you that you can kind of repay the favor. But you can see him, man. He's feeling the puck. He's so shifty, uh, can play center and the wing, 
fast skater, makes plays happen. And I talked about them in transition and feasting off it. He did the same thing last night versus Van. When he gets a puck in the neutral zone in transition, he's flying. And not only can he play that kind of depth role, but he's a scorer at heart. And uh, he's starting to finish his chances. And I think that's, like I said, one of the reasons they've been so successful is guys like Tip that before the year, you're like, oh, you know, well, they have Travis Konechny and Owen Tippett. You know, we won't expect too much out of them. And here they come flying out of the can and uh, scoring left, right, and center. So big fan of the kid. He's a great kid off the ice. I trained with him here in the, uh, in the summers in Toronto when I was still playing. Um, so reached out to him to ask him the same thing everyone else is. What's going on in Philly? <laughs> Um, you mentioned that that last night you were watching the, the Flyers and Canucks and also had Edmonton on. Um, Edmonton made it kind of easy to focus on the other game, scoring four in the first period. Uh, we talked here about how it can be a little bit tricky coming back from a Christmas holiday to jumping back into NHL action. Um, how nice would it be from a like Edmonton standpoint there? You're coming back from the Christmas break, maybe feeling a, a little bit heavier than before and coming out scoring four in the first. That that's That's how you come back from a break, eh? Yeah, that's about as good as you can ask for. I, I really do think they got the benefit of having a full practice before the game. Uh, I think that makes a huge difference. I covered Toronto, Ottawa on Wednesday, and here's a team that after Christmas break, you know what? Now that I think of it, I had to do it in Calgary one year and come back after like a five-day Christmas break, and all you have is the morning skate, and then you have to play that night. And it's a tough game. It's a battle. Even the first period of Philly band last night was an absolute gong show. There was about 15 <laughs> turnovers in the first, I don't know, 13 minutes. Um, but I think Edmonton really um, capitalized off that. And Louis DeBrusco on the broadcast, it was a pretty intense practice led by McDavid. Obviously, this guy just leads by example on and off the ice. And you could see it from the drop of the puck. They were on a mission and 97 was flying around the offensive zone and they didn't say it post game, but I can guarantee you, I talked about it in hockey central to prep the game that they had November 9th when they lost three, two to San Jose in the back of their minds. And they wanted to let not only the league, but to let the sharks know that this is a bit of a different club. We're at a different point in the, in the season now than we were back then. It's probably the lowest point for them. I think, uh, I would imagine in their season and they wanted to let the Sharks know, uh, you know, what team they really were. And yeah, 97 led by example, that top line with him and Hyman and Nuge is just flying right now. So fun to watch, but I really do. Like I said, I think they got a huge benefit from getting a full skate in before their games. Cause I know that can be tough after the break. How how important is it that the, the Oilers they look at the standings they they're, they're, they're still a little bit out of a playoff spot, but they've got those games in hand and they know that, we have the team that can get there. Do you think it's just the case of they can still outscore their issues and then they'll be in a playoff spot sooner rather than later? Or are you seeing something a little bit different from their goaltending and defense since they've, they've kind of climbed out of their doldrums? Yeah, that's kind of how they did work, right? Was that just outscoring their problems and outscoring their issues. They got five, the only team in the league with five players over 30 points. I think the stat was wow. last night and, um, I mean, Zach Hyman, 20 goals last night. That's They're getting the contribution from guys offensively, right? But then the whole problem was getting out goalied every game. Mm -hmm. And I think you've seen Stuart Skinner kind of come into his own here. I really like during the broadcast last night, Gene showed a clip and he was the first guy on for practice 
the day before, but no pucks. And he was just going through his movements mm. and just kind of very slowly up and down, going through his little things. He looked like he was in the zone. And I just thought that was a little thing that was really cool. And even getting an effort from Calvin Picker going back to before the break uh, against it's the win against the Devils. Uh, my biggest difference, what I say in interviews and on TV that I've seen, isn't the offense or the goaltending. No, it's the defense. Yeah. And even I was, I wasn't, I don't want to say I wasn't sold on the Paul Coffey hiring, but you could tell he was kind of one foot in. He said, like, I, I wasn't sure about coaching. But the influence that he's had on these guys is like night and day. And they're stepping up and making plays and shutting down rushes. And he wants them to be confident. He wants them to try to make plays. But they're also been really responsible defensively. I think Darnell Nurse is playing I don't want to say the best, but some of the best hockey yeah. that I've seen him play. And Evan Bouchard obviously mm -hmm. has come a long way. He still has his flaws, still makes mistakes. But when you can produce offensively like he is and be that talented on the forward side of the red line, man, that's a, that's a real weapon to have. And um, it, it's just everything's turned around. And they're playing loose. They're playing free. But uh, it is certainly a different team than we saw earlier in the year. Like we had, we had Krona in with us yesterday, and like he kind of talked about like how alumni or guys still talk about, like kind of piggybacking off of the uh, the kids playing with Nazem Kadri, and like those kids just like you know asking Kadri everything, just eating at his brain all the time. Is that kind of the same mentality you get? Like you have a legend, a Hall of Famer behind the bench, and Paul Coffey. Is it just that simple? Like, dude, just play like this guy and listen to him, and it can change. Just having that mentality. I mean, for me, it would. And I know the kids are different. And yeah. I don't want to see the kids because they yeah, do yeah, have exactly. an older decor. Exactly. Exactly. But I think of guys like Nurse and Kulak and CeCe, these older veteran guys that would lean on him. But then your younger guys like DeHarnay and Booth who are listening to every word he said. And, yeah, maybe they didn't watch him play yeah. or, you know, aren't even maybe too familiar with him. Exactly. But they're going to lean on him in every sense. And what I think is really cool is Mark Stewart's there as well as their fourth coach, who was a really – Good pro, yes, uh, good. long time, long time Winnipeg Jet. Good hard nose playing defenseman, uh, great on the PK. So I think they use like the the two headed monster kind of philosophy, the tandem where it's like Mark Stewart leans into them for the X's and O's and sits there with a laptop and breaks down the video and says, "Hey, we want you go in here and stick to this lane." And then Koff is kind of overseeing everything, and he's more the motiv the motivator and. Um, and the teacher. And I really hope those guys are leaning into him because it looks like, I don't know, I think both of them are helping. But, man, if that was me, and I, I you know what, I'm trying to go back and think about that. Like, I, I'm not comparing Ryan Klo to uh, Paul Coffey in any way, but when I got to New Jersey, Ryan Klo was a guy that I watched. Yeah during my teens and, you know, even in early pro days. And I was like, this guy's awesome. Like shut down left winger hits fights. Like I want to be like this guy. So when I got to Jersey and he was my coach, I would just sit and ask him questions. He'd be bag skating me. I'm asking him questions and going through video and asking him questions. So that's kind of my comparison about having a guy that you lean on. And I really hope they're doing the same. It kind of, it kind of gets the same vibe of what out in Vancouver with uh, Adam, Adam foot and Matthias Holland helping out those D, uh, D guys. hundred percent. And the Sedin twins there yeah, too, right? Exactly. Like they have, the pick of the litter there in Vancouver, I think, you know, we've heard a lot about them having like nine coaches on the ice, but what a blessing to like mm -hmm. be on the, on the first power play and like 
be, you know, shooting it with Henrik Sedin about what he would do in this position. And um, I just think that's so cool. Even Ben Sherrod, I'm pumping the pot again, but I had Ben Sherrod, yeah. Detroit defenseman on, and he talked about having Nick Lindstrom walking around and, um, and, and uh, really, you know, getting in guys' ears. So I think that's really cool when you have former pros around like that where you can bounce things off of. I brought this question up with uh, with your colleague over at Sports on David Amber yesterday. Uh, of the Canadian teams you see, uh, Vancouver, they're obviously at 49 points. The Winnipeg Jets have had a, an amazing start to the season as well, and obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs are a threat, and, and Edmonton can still kind of be a threat as well. Of those four, maybe who do you think could be the best chance of bringing uh, a Stanley Cup back to Canada? Oh, man. So I've been going back and forth between... Vancouver and Winnipeg. Yeah. I would love to say Toronto just because I live here and grew up watching them. I just think they are still, I don't want to say too immature, but they're still a couple mature pieces away from truly being a true contender. Um, I, I'd love to say Edmonton because they're probably the most fun to watch, but same thing. They need to continue playing the way they are to even have a chance. I'm going to go with Vancouver. They're the most complete mm. team at the start, I think their biggest uh, criticism on them was their lack of depth and depth scoring, and they have it in bunches now. They've found a third line that's that's going. The individual efforts they're getting from Miller, Besser, Hughes, and even the trades they brought in, guys like Vronick, yeah. and it's just like they all their pieces just look great right now. I'll, I'll probably give it to Vancouver because I would just think out of those four, Ooh, this is a tough one with Winnipeg, but I will say out of those four, they're probably the toughest to get two points against. Very close between them and the Jets, so. Yeah, it, it'll be fun. Hopefully, you know, just get, we just want the teams to get, you know, win around, get into the second round, get into that final eight uh, of the teams around in, in the postseason. Uh, Luke, uh, you, you obviously mentioned the Mitsoff podcast. Owen Tippett was your was your last guest. Anything else you want to talk about? Anyone come up you want to plug? Yeah, so we got our last episode coming out for New Year's. It's a, a kid that people might not know. His name's Brady Leavold. He was a former pro player, went to camp in Tampa, but went through a lot of struggles personally. He has one of the craziest but coolest and most, I guess they would, uh, I, I'd say, rewarding stories I've ever heard. He went from the depths of uh, of living to, to being a uh, an inspiring guy now, goes around speaking to to teams, motivational speaker, and, and it's helped a lot of people. And uh, it's a really cool episode. I decided to do it for kind of New Year's for people that are going to try to kind of try to make some changes. Yeah. It's a little different. It's a little heavy, but that's why I started the project to kind of have tough conversations. So uh, that'll be coming out this weekend. Hope everybody enjoys it. That's awesome, Luke. We, we love listening. We love having you on. Uh, happy New Year. Uh, we'll have you on for sure uh, coming 2024. And all the best. And have a safe and happy New Year's Eve. Yeah, thanks. You guys, too. Anytime. Thanks a lot. There's Luke Gazdick, uh, NHL and Sportsnet analyst, uh, former NHLer, and, of course, the Mitsoft podcast. Uh, you can find that anywhere you get your podcast. Love Luke having, love, love having Luke on our station. Yeah, no, it's been a blast. Uh, the couple times I've been on to, to chat with him, a lot, uh, lot of good insight. And I think having 
the the conversation there about the um some of the, the older players having yeah. them around is interesting, and it's like they're they're starting to do that a little bit more here, here. right? Like Conroy yep. bringing a Ginler around. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we we see uh, a couple more pop ins by Mika Kiprasov yeah. uh, with the, his the whole retired. Jersey retirement stuff. So yeah, and I think like Ottawa's trying it with Daniel Alfredson. Yep. Um, I, I think that that there is like quite a bit of value to to that. Like there there are only so many people in the planet who have had the the life experience of playing in the National Hockey League. So may as well try to get as much yeah. out of that as you could. Yeah, Luke obviously joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, we'll uh, talk a little, maybe some rumors what's going on. The roster freeze is, is thawing. Uh, maybe some movement here in the new year. We'll talk with the fourth periods. Dennis Bernstein uh, coming up next as Big Show continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. Big Show continuing here. Patrick Dumas, Peter Klein with you. Live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. If you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basementy. NHL roster freeze is over. We're out of the ro- we're out of the holiday break. Uh, it's go time here, and uh, we always love our chats with Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period. Uh, Dennis, how are we uh, how are we feeling today? Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, happy and healthy 2024. I got the two P's this morning. Yeah, yes. happy to talk. Uh, Possible uh, trade scenarios with you. Yeah, let's let's get into it. I, first, I want to. It is the NHL's Winter Classic this weekend in Seattle. T-Mobile Park hosting yep. uh, the Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, this game doesn't have the same uh, luster and the same uh, fanfare as it did when it when it debuted way back in two thousand eight. But just like what's the what's the maybe the the, the care level down down there for for the the Golden Knights and the crack and obviously the two NHL's uh, newest franchises taking it outdoors on uh, on Monday. Yeah, you bring up the two teams. I think it's an affirmation of what the great job both franchises have done yeah. over the last couple of seasons. Right, uh, Vegas ones in six years. Uh, Seattle gets to the playoffs in in year two and knocks out Colorado. So. I think it's an, it's certainly an event in Seattle. They, they picked the right city for a sports event because those people are crazy when it comes to sports. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming T-Mobile is going to be sold out. It's going to be a raucous crowd. The imagery is going to be great. The care factor here, mm-hmm. I, I, is it less than Boston playing Philadelphia at Fenway Park? Probably. Yeah. But it still resonates with the fans down here because, it, again, it's an experience. The, the optics are different, and that's the one thing the league can do. They can go to different stadiums, different cities, and promises were made when Seattle came in that they would get a winner classic. So I think it's still enjoyable, but more more so certainly for the fans that are witness some history in Seattle. Yeah, and I think that the NHL obviously has uh, has ideas. They want to go to to warmer destinations down the line, like Florida is, is obviously, and they have to figure out. Uh, how to how to do that? And I'm sure they would love to go to go to Vegas uh, once that new ballpark sure. is built uh, for the Athletics. Uh, have you has has there been any been talk about Vegas eventually getting one of these things? Because I think that would be just amazing. You know, they funny. had the first. They had the first way back in '93 or '91. They did. They did. But you know, the the league and maybe Gary Bettman's but want mostly when you do stadium series games, yeah. you still want outdoor stadiums, right? Like, I, I'll give you an example. What would be a home run would be Vegas and LA home and home at Allegiant and at SoFi. Mm. I'm a season ticket hole for the Rams. It's an amazing stadium. The optics will be incredible, but for some reason they don't like dome stadiums when they do the stadium series stuff. So yeah, I, I think that, look, this is the 39th outdoor game. So for people to say that it doesn't work, or the fun, it, of course it works. <laughs> and the, it'll continue to work as long as they get 50,000, 60,000 for these games in different markets. 
it's going to continue. So they don't really have to reinvent it. They tweak it a little bit with respect to the city it might host. But the stadium series stuff, I agree with you. But they, they just really staged it at outdoor football stadiums yeah. and baseball stadiums. So the, the dome, like, I've always thought that instead of the comp ball, you should have played the, the Warner Classic at Jerry's World. You get 100,000 people. But they've been doing it right. And until they stop selling tickets, it's going to be uh, – uh, it's going to be continuing this brand. Yeah, I guess the only one they they really had indoors would have been the one uh, the the Heritage Classic in Vancouver uh, when it rained and they were yeah, supposed right. to have the roof at BC yes. Place open, but they ended up shutting it. Agreed. Yeah, it, it's it's it's. I still like like when I go, I go for the experience. Yeah, I go to exactly. The, I went to the Heritage. The Heritage was amazing in um, in Edmonton this year. It was it was fantastic. The weather weather was great. Yeah. So it may not care it, like the care level on the national level in the states probably isn't there and certainly you'd want more but certainly for the, the those markets and certainly the players as well every time i go to one of these the players love playing in them as long as the the conditions aren't too brutal uh moving to to games played in more traditional services now uh la taking on vegas last <laughs> night uh i i thought that was uh, an interesting kind of measuring stick game for the kings against uh, vegas they got the big shiny trophy at the end of last year obviously playing well again this year. Um, how did you think that the, the Kings handled things against Vegas, and how do they kind of stack up looking a bit bigger picture? They, they played their game 3-2. Uh, their defense, like, they're the best te- defensive team in the league. So a couple of lapses on, on defense, especially the bottom pair. The bottom pair was exposed last night. So if you're going to beat L.A. in a particular game, you're going to probably work on Andreas England and Jordan Spence. They got worked a couple on a couple of goals. Wasn't surprised. The surprising thing to me, I went back and looked. First of all, the series between the, the Kings and Golden Knights is done. They're done. They played three games, they're done. And to have that completed before New Year's, when you know these teams are going to compete for the division title, doesn't make a lot of sense. But I went back and looked. Vegas blocked 86 shots in three games against the Kings. Ooh. So the Kings plan to, to beat Vegas in the playoffs. They better figure out a better way to get pucks to the net because that's one. And, I, and Vegas does it against anybody, but that's that's an incredible amount of box shots that Vegas put up last night, and it protects their goaltender. So when they're trying to protect uh, Logan Thompson or Aiden Hill when he comes back and he's not injured, or Zieri Patera, or it's me or you in net, um, the way they play with their style with blocking shots, they're still going to be around. They're still going to be very dangerous. I don't think they're at the level they are when they, when they won, won the championship, but that's the type of game I would expect between these two because I will tell you, and Vancouver's done great things, but in that division, there's not much to separate between Los Angeles and Vegas at this point. And I think a big thing for, for L.A. would be getting uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois going. Obviously, uh, the Calgary Flames helped with that a few games ago, um, but what have you made <laughs> of uh, PLD's fit with, with L.A. so far? Okay, is he earning his price tag of $8.5 million? No, but that's an individual thing. Uh, the team is winning. What are they, 28-4 and four or something like that for 32 games? They're winning a lot. And what he's done, instead of Kopitar playing 21 minutes a night for L.A., he's now playing 19 minutes. Right? And the, so the, the center distribution, and look, they just went into the season saying, we can't go with Kopitar, Deneau, uh Kupari at the time, and Lazat, and think we can win in the playoffs. So Dubois has been better over the last three ball games. He's been more noticeable because, guys, my social media timeline was, you know, filling up after every Kings game. What's going on with PDL, PLD? He's invisible. He's, he's been better. He scored a couple of goals in games. But, again, it's, it's the group thing, right? It's having those four centers that they think they can play to that strength and win. Does he need to be better? He does. 
he has been terrible because the team hasn't been terrible. So he's gotten some cover. And when you have Kopitar and Deneau playing defense on your team, like you don't really need Dubois to, to, to really focus on defense. You need to focus on scoring. He, he's starting to get a little bit of traction, but there's still a bit of way to go with respect to PLD for, before he starts earning that contract. For the the Kings that we talked before, you talked before about how like they, they feel like they are pretty close. Could this be a team that makes a, a move coming up here at the towards the deadline to try to put them over the top? It it depends on the health of one player who's been on the injured list since the season started. That's Victor Arvidsson. Right, he had back surgery. I see him around the team all the time. He he's walking around fine. He still hasn't gotten on the ice. If they were to get him back before the trade deadline, and again they're up against the cap, so. They're going to have to fit in his, his $4 million cap hit anyway. Um, that would be the ad for this team. because And they could certainly use him because that's the guy I point to that could certainly get P.L. Dubois going. So to answer your prior question, if you put a playmaker like Victor Arvidsson, and people forget well, all the great seasons that Kopitar and, and Byfield are having, uh, Victor Arvidsson's a 60-point player in this league. He's a 25-35 guy. That would certainly help their third line make it more dangerous and, more importantly, it would give them a legitimate right shot on their power play, which they don't have. He got hurt. They've traded a couple of right-handed defensemen like Sean Walker and, uh, and Sean Dursey. They don't have a lot on the right side on the power play. And, and not that they've struggled, but they're about, about uh, midway up the rankings, about 18th or 19th with respect to the power play. So if they were to add Victor Arvidsson and he is healthy and he get back to form, they don't really need anything else. Maybe another goaltender. I'm not sure when Vic, uh, Vic Fink, Phoenix Coffee's coming back, but Dave Riddich, he won in two games, won two games. Granted, it was against both against San Jose, so I want to see a, a little stronger competition against them. But there's not much to add for this team because coming into the season, they thought they were a contender, and through 32 games, they've shown that they are. Uh, I know you, you, when you, you were last on with us, you, you talked about Quentin Byfield, but I, I want to talk about like how that whole 2020 draft class was. It was a slow start for them. And like, obviously yeah. Alexis Lafreniere had some trouble and cause it was, they were coming out of a pandemic. It was a tough time for a lot of those guys, but right. Quinton Byfield, he's obviously eclipsed his point total from last year of 22 and his first really like full, like I guess second kind of go around in the NHL still hasn't played mm-hmm. uh, more than 53, but you know, he's at 25 points. Is this the guy that you're starting to see that the Kings wanted when they drafted him back, uh, back in September, of 2020? Yeah, his style of play, I, I think they projected him as a center, not a left winger. Yeah. But when you play with Kopitar and Kempe, you should get it, be getting points. Entirely different player. Like, way more com- Making moves that he would never have the confidence to make last season. Entirely different. Whatever happened over the summer, I think he trained a little bit better. He got a little bit better with his diet because he was just a kid. And again, he's 6'5 and 225. Yeah. He's still growing into his body. The moral of the story is, like Lafreniere, you have to be patient with these kids. Mm-hmm. Like, who comes in and is impactful? Right? Like, Sapkowski in Montreal. Is he going to be a superstar like Austin Matthews? No. But by next season with the size and his continuing hockey IQ, he'll, he'll be an impact player for Montreal. It takes time with these guys. Yeah. They're, even at the highest, it's still lottery tickets, guys. Like, you don't know. Some win, some lose. We could point to look at, look at uh, Nolan Patrick, who mm-hmm. stepped away from the game. Yeah. He was the second overall pick. It's a dice roll, but, but Quentin, is, a lot had to do with, with confidence. And sometimes, and Todd said this, McClellan said this in L.A., you've got to give yourself permission to be good. You've got to stop being deferential. And when you play with a Hall of Fame like Kopitar and the 35-goal scoring campaign, you're going to be deferential. But this year, he is not taking a step backwards. He's big. He's strong. Thank you. So they opened that goal against, uh, against the Flames where he just uh, went in, swooped in, and just, you know, 
got the puck and put it in the open net. It's an entirely different player for Los Angeles and one of the reasons that they're near the top of the Pacific. Uh, shift gears up here uh, to Calgary. Uh, I, it was a little bit of a report there earlier in this week. I don't think there was much traction on it. I think this is kind of what we expected. But uh, Elias Lindholm seems persistent that he wants $9 million. I don't think that's going to happen here in Calgary, especially just with, with what else they have yeah. to go on with the cap and, and obviously how he's played over the last couple seasons. Where, where, are we, where are we on the last Lindholm? Is this still a guy that the Flames will try and move at the deadline? Try they have, They'd obviously have to get something for him because I, I don't think they want to work out a long-term deal here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's a, that's a heavy price tag for a player who needs to be surrounded with better players, right? Yeah. So, some players can do it on their own. And he, 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 not, that he's not, not that he wouldn't help a team, not that he wouldn't help Boston or Carolina or Colorado. Like, and if the question is, I want 9 million. Are you truly a one C in this league? Truly? Like, I, I don't, I see him as an excellent two C on a championship team. Right? Is that 9 million? That's probably high, right? Is he, well, is, would he be worth the Lindholm, uh, the, uh, now Dubois is younger. Would it be worth 8.5 million to a team? Probably. At the one benefit that Connie has is that his cap hit lets him, allows him to be tradable at this point in yeah. time. I don't see him staying. I think they should go in a different direction. And I've, I've advocated on this show. I thought they should keep him. But when I watch the team play right now, I'm like, okay, what would be the dip? Why continue this for six or seven years? Why not go a different route? So I really like the player. I certainly think he could help a contending team. I, I don't see the logic in them going long-term at home, especially at that price tag at this point. Obviously, a lot of the talk here is around him and then the, the two defensemen who are on expiring deals as well, sure. uh, Tanev and Hannafin. Have, have you heard anything on them, or are those going to be more that, that kind of wait until the, the final hour on March 8th? Yeah, I think you're going to wait. The, and, you know, let's be real here, okay? They're not that far afield from a playoff spot. Right. right. I mean, they're five points. Like they're going to climb four teams, but they're five points out. And they've got, what, 50-some-odd games left or, you know, 48. Here's what – I keep going back to what Dean Lombardi told me way back in the day when the Kings were starting to contend. Dean wanted a sign from his team that they wanted help at the trade deadline. And it's incumbent upon the Flames that they want to stick around. I, I, I don't like what I see on the ice right now. But if they go on a run and they went 7 or 10, like maybe you, add, maybe you keep these guys – you can't trade everybody. I, I guess you could. But then what does it say to the other guys in the room? Like, we quit. We're rebuilding now. And a guy like Tanif is a heart and soul guy. Like, that would be the one guy I'd want to keep. Right? I mean, it, it's, it's, you have to build a core, and you need some veteran presence. You just can't go just the other end of the spectrum. Oh, we're going to get rid of all our veterans that are possibly being traded. It, it's a difficult situation right now because – are they any worse than the other night when they played Seattle? No. Are they on par with Minnesota? Maybe. But I want to sign from my team of on Craig Cronin on what direction you want to do with those two guys. I assume Lindholm, because of his status and what he can do, really help a contender where he's a top-level guy, that would make, the sense, make more sense to trade. But I think at this point in time, the one guy I would want to keep on that blue line would be Tanup. I'm a personal you know, favor of that, of that player. 
Yeah, and I find that one uh, interesting discussion around team building because, like you said, like you, I think a, a lot of this fan base does want to just trade everybody and uh, try to, to go in the tank, especially <laughs> with how Celebrini's playing at the World Juniors. But when you look at Tanev, right. everyone who has played with him has got like the most out of themselves. Like the best version comes out when they play with Tanev. That feels like a guy who you want if you're going to be bringing young defensemen in. But then at the same time, if I'm Chris Tanev, I don't know if I want to be hanging around on a team that gets their, yeah. their teeth kicked in all the time, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, but there is a salary cap. You just can't pick your spot still, even despite what people think. And remember, going back now, I know that, that Vancouver made a great trade to get Ronick and they've been a great pair. But remember, in his formative years, who Quinn Hughes played with? He played with Chris Tanner. Yeah. Right? So that, that, that's the type of player that you want. So if you do trade Hannafin and you want a younger defenseman to pair with Tanner, like that, that, that would be the type of guy you'd want to pair with, the guys that to learn from them. So yeah, Hannafin doesn't need that at this point. In but if you're going to go Art a little younger on the blue line, you do need that presence. And, you know, you still have Anderson and Weegar up top, which I like. That, that, that fourth defenseman, that would be key. And I, I think that if you kept Tanev, you could bring in a younger defenseman and develop him because you can trust Chris Tanev defensively night in, night out. Just looking bigger picture at the, the National Hockey League here, now that the, the roster freeze has thawed and we're, we're getting ready for the, this kind of stretch run here, it feels like a, a lot of the teams at the top kind of have glaring holes, like Colorado and Winnipeg could use another center. Um, I guess Vancouver maybe doesn't right now, but, I mean, they could probably add as well. Mm -hmm. But you look around the league, and there are teams that have some pretty obvious needs. Do you think we get a, a bit of an earlier start to the trade season this year, given how close everything is and how the, these teams have pretty obvious holes they'd want to fill. Yeah. And you could probably go down a list of the, and you could make the case for nine teams winning a cup this year. You really could. Right? There's nobody, there's no Boston 135 point team this year. There's not this overbearing thing. And you're right. You look at the central division, like you watch Colorado playing to Arizona the other night. Okay. They're pretty good, but are they, should be scared of them? Winnipeg's done really good things, but they're really thin. And they're doing it well with Kyle Connor. Dallas is a real sleeper, but Ottinger has been hurt. Uh, you look at the three teams in the Pacific. I do think so. Because I, I, the one lesson I think we've learned over the last couple of years with respect to the trade deadline, some GMs don't want to wait. Right? They, they want to make a move. There's availability. You want to make the price. There's no reason to wait till 24 hours before the deadline. So I do think that could be the case. Maybe more so for a wild card team. Like, I keep going back to Arizona. Finally, we've waited, what, 35 years, and they actually might be a buyer at the deadline to keep their wild card chances in place. I think that's fantastic. So, yes, I don't think you're going to see a flood 24, 48 hours before the trade line. I, I think teams, especially like in Arizona, maybe in Nashville, if they can meet the price and they have some cap space, they can pull the trigger earlier and get an advantage because I think there's some belief that, like I said at the top, I think there's nine teams that possibly could win it all, and the more aggressive GMs on these teams might add you know, a month away because you want to have more traction and you want to get it, it, integrate that player into your lineup for the stretch run as well as the playoffs. I'm, I'm really happy you brought up Arizona. They are so fascinating to me this trade season. Um, I counted yesterday. I think it's 20 picks they have in the first three rounds the next three yep. years. Like it's, it's insane. And they have 15 million or they will have 15 million dollars by the time the deadline rolls around. If they just wanted to do like an NBA style trade where, hey, here's eight picks. Just take it. Like, I, I would love to see Arizona make like just some kind of real aggressive move here. Do you think that could be something in the cards for them when you, they look around and, and see the same thing we do where, you know, like we're not that far off some of these top teams right now. 
Yeah, they can certainly use the draft capital. And you mentioned they have three first-round picks this season, three second-round picks. And then in, in 2025, they have four second-round picks. Could they wheel it for a player of consequence? Yeah. Are they trading nine picks from Connor McDavid? No, not anytime soon. And the question is, here's the one challenge. Because they make these trades to get this draft capital and this cap, cap space, they have – Every year they have five unrestricted walkaway free agents like Jason Zucker or you know Matt Dumba or Josh Brown or Troy Stetcher. I mean, those last two guys are going to make big differences. But at some point in time, you got to keep these players, right? So I, I think we're at a tipping point because they have certainly, and I was in Arizona with the Coyotes and Kings, they certainly love playing for a tourney. Like they found a coach in Arizona. So they have that. The team's playing well. They play well at home. They're quick. They're pesky. They're getting... Great goaltending from Connor Ingram. So why not add at this point in time? But the question is, like, what do you add to? And it's just the one thing. They, they have to start signing more guys long-term. This strategy of building the draft capital will be done by using this cap space because they're not a very good team. They don't have to play pairs that much money. That's worked. But now you have to shift the paradigm to saying, okay, who's our core? And that's what Bill Armstrong really needs to do here. Who's our core? Because if we're really going to contend, we need a core of six, seven, eight players that we know are going to be here longer term. Uh, Dennis, the, the Philadelphia Flyers have been a, a probably, I think, the best story of any team this year. They were expected to probably be, you know, fighting for a, for a lottery pick for for, for for Celebrini. But you know, John Tortorella was not going to let these guys, you know, play like that. And obviously, getting Sean Couturier back has been a big help. What have you seen from the Philadelphia Flyers? And do you think they can they can have this run go deep into you know April and be a playoff team? They might lose games. They don't get out-competed. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing with this team. They have structure. They play hard every night. They're 11-4-3 on the road. Yeah. Like, if, if you had told me that they overachieved, I'm like, okay, Philly's a tough place to play. They're really good at home. They're 8-7-1 at, at home. <laughs> and they're, they're – look, as much as you want to talk about Shostakin and Quick doing great things, you know, in, in New York, uh, in net – you look at Philadelphia, they play one more game than the Rangers, they gave up three more goals. Yeah. Like, it's, it's incredible what John's done. So when you talk about retreads and why do guys keep getting coaching jobs, look at the first two teams in the Metro. Look at what Lobby's done in the, with the Rangers. And look what Torts has done with Philadelphia. Sometimes retreads work. Sometimes there's a reason why these coaches continue to get jobs. It's a testament because when you look at that lineup in Philadelphia, you're saying, Okay, they should, after 34 games, should probably be 11, 19, and 4, not 19, 11, and 4. <laughs> a testament to the coaching and, and these players that he's found identity in this team. They're, they're not the most talented team, but they will not get outworked. They will not give up on games. And it's great to see because that's the type of team that people in Philadelphia will go to watch. They don't have to be the most skilled team, but their try level is so off the chart right now, it should be. Uh, fans back to Wells Fargo. And, and the league's better when the Flyers are relevant and playing good hockey. Absolutely. 100%. Like they're a team I like a lot yep. of people kind of forget. You know, they were they were one of the 10. They were one of the first 10. So uh, we love seeing the Flyers do well. They'll be the Flames opponent on Sunday. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, all your hits this year and uh, all the best in 2024. We'll, we'll do this again very soon, buddy. Thank you. Always great being on Sportsnet 960. Happy and healthy. Thank you very much, Dennis. There you go. Dennis Bernstein uh, from the fourth period, NHL Network Radio as well uh, on all things NHL. Uh, yeah, Flyers, man. They're, 
They're scary. Yeah. Scary. 11-4-3 on the road. Big win last night in Vancouver. They'll be the Flames opponent on Sunday. Just seem miserable to play against, too, right? Like, it just, you don't come out it's of like that game like. Wanna. Like, Torch, oh, yeah. he kind of, he, he's, he's a one uh, he got a little Bobby Clark in him there. Yeah. And obviously, he's got, he, the Philadelphia's got a culture and an identity that they, they need to, 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 to adhere to. And they're doing it right now. Uh, a yeah. great start to have them uh, second in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, of course, Dennis joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Around uh, the corner, we'll talk with Jeff Blair, uh, Blair and Barker, Sportsnet uh, Radio Network. Uh, what are the Blue Jays doing? Uh, they're signing Isaiah Kiner Falefa. They brought they brought back Kevin Kiermeyer. They missed out on Shohei. Yeah, they missed out on Yamamoto. They missed out on Soto. What else is the Toronto Blue Jays going to do? As we uh, we're only a couple months from spring training, really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Blair. Joins this program next as Sportsnet as Big Show continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.